We come now to our reading from God's holy word, which is Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Hear now the words of God. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us this morning. Well, Psalm 33 is a psalm which calls us to uh, worship and praise God, our creator. And it is a psalm which calls us to trust in our God, our creator, the one who rules over all things. And as I've mentioned already, it's a psalm which uh, responds to uh, Psalm 32. The end of Psalm 32 closes with the words in verse 11, uh, 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And that's where uh, Psalm 33 starts off. 
So Psalm 33 relates back to Psalm 32. But it's also connected to the next Psalm, Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is one of those acrostic Psalms, 22 verses, each beginning with a successive letter of the, the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dal, all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 33, our psalm, also has 22 uh, letters. Uh, it's what's called a jumbled acrostic. It's, it's, not, it's all mixed up. So it, it relates, Psalm 33 relates forward to Psalm 34. It relates backwards to Psalm uh, 32. And that's just a, a reminder for us as we start that the psalms uh, were not thrown together, but carefully placed together, carefully ordered together and sequenced for our, for our learning. So there is this, this psalm, a call to praise God uh, for the creator, a call to trust him. The psalm begins, these first three verses really are this great call to worship. And then from verse four, uh, talk, starts to talk about the reasons for us to worship the Lord. Moves on to thinking about God as the great object of our worship, verses 4 onwards. And then verse 8, there's another call to worship, the call to all the earth, let all the earth praise the Lord. And from verse 9 onwards, it's praising God for his, his providence, for his rule over all things. And then the psalm ends, it lands on this great uh, call to, to trust God. Um, and then finally, there's a prayer. The, the prayer comes in the last verse of Psalm, uh, in Psalm, uh, in verse 22 is the prayer. So we'll look at these sections of this Psalm together. First, this great call to worship, and then moving on to the reasons for worship. So verse 1, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. And I'm pleased that we've been, if not shouting, uh, then singing in good voice and loudly this morning, crying to God uh, in worship. Uh, The righteous here, and Psalm 32 has spoken of the righteous. They are those who have had their sins forgiven. Uh, The righteous in the Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament believers were those who had been uh, made righteous through faith. You've been studying the book of Genesis. You've seen um, Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So those Old Testament saints grasped hold of the promises of God by faith. They grasped hold of Christ by faith. And that is what we see in the Psalms. The righteous in the Psalms are those who trust uh, in God's promises, who trust in in Christ held out to them in God's word. Uh, We know that there's no one righteous uh, in and of ourselves. By nature, we are not righteous. But the righteous are called here to uh, shout for joy in the Lord. The righteous are those who are happy. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates night and day on, on the word of God. Happy are the righteous. We are not to be thin-lipped, unhappy, dour Presbyterians, but those who shout for joy and rejoice before the Lord. And praise befits 
the upright. It is fitting for us to praise the Lord as we gather before God. Now, we know as we come to the the book of Psalms, that the Psalms give voice to uh, all our emotions as we come before God. They give us voice to lament, to cry out to God in our sorrow, in our pain, in our difficulty, in anguish and confusion. The Psalms are, uh, as John Calvin said, the anatomy of the soul. They express every part of our, our being before the Lord. But here is this great call to worship, the saying that praise and worship befits the righteous. It is peculiarly appropriate for us to come before God and worship him and praise him. What is the chief end of man? Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is fitting for us. And so uh, the, the, that word fitting, uh, sometimes translated comely or seemly or beautiful, it speaks of beauty. So in Song of uh, Solomon, the, the, the woman is described as, as beautiful and praise is fitting for us. And the book of Proverbs speaks of various things which are not fitting, things which do not fit. It says, uh, it's not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. Um, uh, or Proverbs, that's Proverbs 19, verse 10. Uh, Proverbs 26, 1. As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So various things are not fitting, but praise befits the righteous. Uh, God exists and is the greatest good. He is worthy of all our praise. Augustine, in his famous work, The City of God, speaks of uh, us uh, needing to have uh, rightly ordered loves, speaks of God as the, the most blessing. And if our loves are rightly ordered, then we will love God as the chiefest love, the one who is worthy of all our love and praise. And and Augustine speaks of sin as uh, disordered loves, that we set our affections uh, on the creature rather than the creator, and our loves get all tangled up and messed up. And we might think of uh, rightly ordered praise. We are made in God's image, so we all naturally praise all sorts of things. Lovers praise their beloved. Uh, I was in Gloucester yesterday. I live in Kingsholm, and, and we have the great roar of praise. We live near the rugby stadium, uh, and it, this great cry of praise goes up from the rugby stadium. So we all praise, uh, but it is necessary to have our praises ordered around the things which are most worthy and most valuable. There is something disordered about the man uh, for whom the center of his praise is his Porsche. So our, our praises, as well as our loves and our affections, need to be ordered around that which is most worthy of all our praise. And God exists. He is most worthy of our praise. And as we come to sing the Psalms, um, our, our, our hearts are tuned up to sing the praise of God. Our disordered hearts are reordered around that which is most worthy. Uh, Church Father Athanasius said, he who sings the Psalms keeps his soul in tune. So as we come to the scriptures, as we come to the Psalms, God reorders our affections 
um, John Newton, I think in one of his letters, he, he spoke of sometimes when he, um, when he spoke or even he, he preached, he said his words were like a, a melody which was sweet sounding, but his thoughts running underneath that were like a bass or rather an anti-bass. And all the cacophonous thoughts of his heart went out. And what we need the Lord to do is retune our whole beings so that our, our thoughts and our minds Uh, as well as our mouths, sing forth God's praise. And so uh, it starts, doesn't it, with our mouths, shout for joy. It is, uh, our praise is verbal. We're made in God's image and we we praise God verbally. And then verse 2, after that, we have uh, musical accompaniment. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. So the the fundamental musical instrument is the human body, isn't it? The human voice. We have uh, vocal cords, which we play, and uh, uh, voice boxes, and we are made to praise God. But then we have these other instruments which come in, the lyre, a stringed instrument, strings made from animal gut stretched over a wooden frame, and a harp of ten strings, an instrument with a sounding box. And in the Psalms, interestingly, the, 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 the music would stretch around the words, so the the, 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 the different lines of the, the song are, are, are differently length, so the music would sort of concertina out and stretch back, and the words would take priority over the music, and, and see the way we do it is according to meter, and then rhyme, and so that can sometimes have rather interesting results. Um, I remember when I was a, a, a choir boy, we used to look at, at the hymns we would sing and, and work out which words were there just been dragged in because of the rhyme. Um, well, the psalmist um, is based around the, the priority of, of the word and the words which are sung and expressed back to God. And the music comes in to accompany that. And so verse 3, sing to him a new song when we have a fresh sense of God's goodness and kindness. It is fitting and appropriate to praise him afresh. Um, so the psalmist sings with this great call to praise the Lord with joy and then moves on to consider the object of our praise, the Lord, our covenant God. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. You see this great connection here between God's word and God's work. What God says is done. We see that in his work of creation. What God commands comes to pass. And in these verses we see, in particularly looking at God's faithfulness as our faithful creator. What he says comes to pass. He is reliable and faithful in his works of creation. And because of that we know he is reliable and faithful in all his works, as works of governing and providential rule over all things. And as you've looked at the book of Genesis, you'll have seen this. God speaks, and it is done. What happens, what he says will happen, will happen. If I can put it like this, when God planned to create all things, he planned it, and his work came in um, on time and in budget. He is faithful Uh, to all he has created. And if you've been involved in any building works, you know that that 
that rarely, if ever, happens. Building works tend to come in. Um, they take twice as long to do as you originally thought, and they cost twice as much as you originally thought. Even after you've factored in the fact that they take twice as long and cost twice as much. But God's work is faithful. What he says comes to pass. His word is reliable and upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. And you think of his work of creation, but also his great work of redemption. His promises made to Abraham. Um, those promises which endured through all those generations and which came to pass. That is the faithful God, our creator and our redeemer. He speaks and it comes to pass. Verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The one who created all things is the God who has revealed himself in his law and his good law over all of creation. He loves what is right And what is just. And he has revealed that in his word. And the earth is filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. We see God's steadfast love shown in creation. We just see the very stability of the created order. Which enables scientists to study God's amazing handiwork and his works of creation. And uh, I know you've got various PhDs uh, amongst you that spend your time studying uh, the the created order. We do that for God has created a world which is stable and orderly. His steadfast love is shown in his preservation of all things. God continues to preserve and uphold all things in spite of human sin and wickedness. He's promised not to flood the world again as we see another spring. And summer um, come around again. We see God's steadfast love year by year by year. And we can trust in that. That the world will not end uh, in an ecological apocalypse. But will come to the end according to which God is bringing it. According to his own faithfulness. And his steadfast love shown in his work of redemption as his gospel continues to increase and grow throughout the world according to his promise. But in this this first section, it's particularly his steadfast love shown in creation, which is in view. So verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, literally by the spirit of his mouth, all their host, God spoke And the heavens were made. And the the ancients looked up at the sky, the night sky, and and they feared. They they worried that the the, the stars were connected with uh, deities and gods and things which were outside of their control. But in the book of Genesis, God reveals that actually it was the true and living God who created all things. That he spoke a word of power. All things came into being. And because of that, his people could trust that their world was not controlled by forces which were somehow malevolent and against them, but was ultimately controlled by the God who had made himself known to them. And we see God's spirit involved in creation, the spirit of God hovering over the face 
of the waters. In verse 7, we also see another image of God's sovereign power over creation. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Those terrifying waters at the beginning of creation that, that, that spoke of sort of darkness and chaos. God, the creator, uh, put the, the, the waters into their boundaries and raised out the dry ground. He ruled over the chaos. He rules over all things. And God in his works of redemption is seen as the God who is the creator of all things. He gathers the waters as the sea into a heap. And here uh, we see this in, in the book of Exodus as God the creator redeems and saves his people and he redeems them through the dry ground. He parts the waters. So here it's just a, this image, this, this picture of God the creator of all things who is in control of every element of his creation for the good of his people. There is nothing which is outside his control. And so, um, verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Here is this great call to worship which covers the whole of the earth. And notice in this, all the alls as we go through. This, this psalm is so expansive. It speaks of the whole of creation and God's rule being over all things. And again, verse 9, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Echoes again of Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. And there was light So Psalm 33, a great hymn of praise for God's great power displayed in creation. Uh, And then it moves on, it transitions to speak of, therefore, his rule, his government over the entire created order, over, over politics, over the nations. And it moves on to speak of these things. And the logic is that if God created all things, if he, if he created the, the, the stars and he spoke them into being, then he, he rules over all things, over the affairs of nations and, and, and men and thrones and rulers and dominions. All these things are under his hand. So in verses 10 and 11, he moves, uh, the psalmist moves to consider the world of politics, of kingdoms. These lovely verses, 10 and 11. The Lord brings the council of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart to all generations. Reminded here of Psalm 2, when the kings of the earth uh, took their stand and they took their counsel against the Lord, against his Messiah. But the one enthroned in heaven laughed and put them to scorn, because he had his plan, and his plan would prevail, that his king, the Messiah, would reign and rule over all things. And these are just wonderful verses for us at any time of political upheaval or panic on the evening and the nightly news. Uh, These verses were, um, these were my Brexit verses. If if any of you can think back to those uh, distant, dim memories of those times, Brexit verses, as as there was great uh, trouble and confusion and, and worry about where things were, were going to turn and how they were going to turn out. Um, 
a little bit later on, I, I crossed out Brexit, and they became my pandemic verses. I thought, well, these would do. They would be fit for purpose to be my global pandemic verses, as there was a lot of panic and fear uh, stoked, and, um, and, um, and, and we needed to trust and hold on to these things, didn't we? That's just the plans of God which will prevail through all generations. Well, then I thought, well, they, they crossed out pandemic, almost crossed out pandemic, and we thought, well, they are, they're my uh, war in Europe verses. Well, they will, they will serve a good purpose for us now, and perhaps they should just be our 2020 verses. That might save a lot of crossing out. And just let's hold on to these verses to know that actually the Lord reigns. The Lord rules and reigns, and it is his plans which prevail to all generations. See, some of you with with children or grandchildren, you can worry about what kind of world your children are growing up in. Um, And yet, it is the plans of his heart which will prevail to all generations. It's the plans of the heart of the Lord, our sovereign Lord. What kind of a world will our children grow up in? Well, it's a kind of a world where the Lord is um, fulfilling his ancient promises according to his own timetable, according to his own schedule, and in which he will get glory for himself and bring great good for his people. That is the world that our children are growing up in, even in the midst of difficulty and trouble and uh, even conflict. It is the plans of his heart which endure to all generations. And so um, we hold on to these verses. And then notice again, as we see, um, the, it's his plans which uh, they, they prevail to all generations. Uh, his sovereign power is not just over all elements of creation, uh, but they, his sovereign power endures in the future, all generations. So verse 12, blessed, happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And the psalmist here in the first instance speaking of Israel, God's chosen nation, uh, that nation called from amongst the nation, that one through whom would come the Messiah. But now God's purpose is to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. His sovereign power extending to all the nations. And so verse 13 to 15, we see uh, God's sovereign care over all things. And again, look at all the alls here. Uh, Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Verse 14, he looks out at all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 15, he observes uh, all their deeds. God's care is over all things. He providentially rules over all things. And this uh, idea, this is um, picked up where you see this in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11. What are God's works of providence? Uh, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Everything in creation is ordered by God. Uh, He rules all things to bring about his plans. And verses 16 to 19 speaks of God's overruling power. The king, verse 16, is not saved by his great army, is ultimately God, and a warrior not by his great strength, ultimately the Lord. Um, 
but it is the Lord who controls all things. And then in the midst of this is comfort for God's people in the midst of hard times. Verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So God providentially rules all things. That does not mean his people will not face famine and difficulty and trouble. So these final verses then are an expression of trust. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. And then that finally a prayer. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So that is Psalm 33, a call to praise the Lord for uh, his work of creation. He is a faithful creator and to trust him for his works of providence, that he is providentially ruling all things. And so it is fitting for us to praise him and our response is praise. And how much more those of us now that we see uh, the fulfillment of the Lord's plans in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he sent his Messiah into the world to die and rise and the one who reigns on high and whose gospel is going out into all the world. So it's a call to praise him and then simply a call for us to trust the Lord that he is working out his plans providentially for our own world, for your church family, um, for our, our families as we look to him. And then finally, uh, this does not mean we do not pray. God's providence and his sovereign will never means that the people of God should not pray. Rather, it is an encouragement for us to pray. That last uh, verse, verse 22, let your steadfast love be upon us even as we hope in you. So let, as we close, let me pray uh, for that. Heavenly Father, our soul waits for you. We wait for the Lord. Uh, We trust in you. And Father, we pray that uh, where we are anxious and fearful, that you might help us to trust afresh in your providential care. That where we face difficulties and afflictions of, of many kinds, that you would help us to trust in you and call out to you. And Father, we praise you that we can Shout for joy and trust in your unfailing love. And Father, we look forwards to your sovereign purposes working out in your creation. We look forwards to the day when uh, the heavens and earth will ring with your praise. We look forwards to the return of Christ in glory and power and the restoration of all things according to your plan and purposes. And we trust in you. That as you have promised that these things will come about, that we will find to our great delight and joy that you are faithful to all your promises. Amen. Amen.